You're listening to an Auckland Libraries podcast. For, for heritage to uh, have value, for heritage to matter, you have to have a community there that celebrates it and connects to it. At the end of the day, these things, although they're from the past, they're kind of living and they're carried through to the present and then on to the future, hopefully, if we do our jobs right. Welcome to the Heritage Talks podcast, bringing you the best in family and local history from New Zealand, the Pacific and beyond. Your Heritage Now. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks very much for coming out. I'm Rebecca Ramsey, one of the specialist archaeologists in Council Heritage Unit, and today, myself and Five of my wonderful colleagues will be talking about day in life of an archaeologist for council. So this talk, as mentioned, is run in association with the New Zealand Archaeological Association as part of the National Archaeology Week, which aims to promote and highlight archaeology in New Zealand and raise awareness about New Zealand's archaeology. So today we'll be talking about, obviously, archaeology in Auckland and why we protect and promote what we do and just sharing bit of insight and in how we see um, how we'll be achieving positive heritage outcomes in the future. So I'm going to introduce my colleagues and they'll give you a little bio about themselves and then we can jump straight into it. So we've got Joe Mills who's Specialist Historic Heritage. This is a little structure of our team by the way. Daniel Winwood, who's a Built Heritage Specialist. Robert Brassey is a Principal Cultural Heritage specialists in the policy team. Um, Edward Ashby is one of the senior technical specialists in the Māori Heritage team and Mifanwi Eves who's one of the senior archaeologists in the Cultural Heritage Implementation team. So Miff, do you want to kick us off with a little bio? <laughs> um, kia ora, my name's Mifanwi Eves and as Rebecca said I work at Council as the senior specialist, they keep changing the names, um, archaeology. So my role is to protect and enhance the historic heritage of Auckland. And Auckland, as you know, now runs from Wellsford to Bombay Hills. Kia ora. So um, I'm Edward and I currently work in the um, Māori Heritage uh, team within Council. And uh, my job is to uh, work with um, mana whenua, to identify their um, Māori heritage sites and then come up with management responses to those. Um, I have a background, um, obviously, in archaeology. That's where I'm trained in. Um, I've worked in the UK. Uh, I've also worked um, with uh, Te Kauramaki, West Auckland Iwi, and um, I've also have a background in forensic archaeology. Uh, kia ora, I'm uh, Robert Brassey. I'm in the built-in cultural heritage policy team. Uh, and so my role is to provide uh, expertise in relation to um, archaeological matters and related uh, heritage issues that to do with um, developing council's plans like the unitary plan, providing advice on uh, new growth areas. Kia ora. Uh, my name's Dan Windward, uh, and I'm in the Built Heritage Implementation team. Now, we get the, we're sort of the pointy end of things when it comes to historic buildings, so most of my work is around resource consents for alterations, extensions, the occasional demolition, even of 
of buildings which are scheduled as heritage places or they're within the special character areas in the across the city so anything my background is in as an archaeology i trained as an archaeologist but i've always been interested more in the archaeology of buildings and places rather than small finds so I guess and the same principles around understanding how an archaeological site is laid down apply to how buildings and places are added to, removed from. You can still tell the same story, understand it the same way. It's just so that's sort of where I'm from. As well as working in Auckland, I've worked in Dunedin and Wellington here in New Zealand and in across the UK and also in the far north of Canada. Kia ora, um, Joe Mills. I am in the Cultural Heritage Implementation Team. Um, yeah, my role is as a specialist historic heritage. Um, I'm trained as an archaeologist, graduated from the University of Auckland with my master's in 2015 in anthropology, specialising in archaeology. Um, worked for a number of contract archaeology firms, so I was in the private sector before getting to Auckland Council, so big and small firms. Um, but I've been with council for a few years now. Um, so in my role, I provide specialist technical advice um, on historic heritage and archaeology. Um, in terms of archaeology, I provide specialist input for resource consents, but I also work closely with the Tupinamonga team uh, to provide archaeological advice for them. And in the historic heritage realm, uh, I kind of look after historic cemeteries. Um, so I'm carrying out a couple of research projects on Auckland's historic cemeteries. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, guys and Gal. <laughs> um, so the first kind of section of questions will just be a general day in the life. Of course, for most of us, that's quite atypical, I suppose. So starting off, what would a typical day look like if you've got one? Um, any kind of hairy or interesting jobs that you've got working on at the moment or interesting projects um, yeah, that you can share with us? As I'm holding a microphone, I may as well <laughs> keep, on, uh, keep on going. So a lot of my day-to-day my -day is, is quite heavily report-based. I'm always having to just as I assess proposals as I, as I come across my desk. I'm having to... Ass uh, Consider them against the against the criteria laid down in the unitary plan, which is quite stringent. The and the five, so I have to sort of stay on course and aren't assess it against those those realms each time. Uh, so as well as that, as part of the process, there's often a lot of meetings with applicants talking about about what they're thinking of doing. Usually before resource consents lodged, that's usually quite a small window of a. Of a, of a much longer process. There's a lot of discussion earlier, providing advice, helping shape, helping people to shape their ideas, steer their their concepts in the right way to manage change. It's like gardening, less than a preserve, than pickling in, in in a jar. You want to sort of let things grow, but grow in the right way. And then, and as well as that, you, you get out on site as much as you can, and to see the places you want to be. Uh, looking at to understand them better so there can be a fair bit of travel involved on that uh, but a lot of my work is focused around the isthmus where a lot of the 
traditionally has been a greater degree of heritage protection in older in the older district plans, and so that's where most of my work is is focused. Well, I do get to travel out to other areas and roam as yeah down to Ryukyu and up to Walkworth. It's, depending on what ever crosses our desk, really. Yeah, um, a lot of my role is focused on identifying um, places that are particularly significant and ensuring that they're protected through um, the council's planning mechanisms. Um, at, at the moment, I spend quite a lot of time uh, as part of multidisciplinary teams or um, meeting or um, uh, writing reports uh, relating to areas of new growth in Auckland, so uh, currently involved with uh, Silverdale, Walkworth, and the uh, Alta Hauraki Gulf Islands, uh, Altea Great Barrier, and so forth. Um, and uh, so we'll typically look at an area that might be pr proposed for intensive, intensive housing development and um, look at what issues are likely to be encountered. Um, identify significant places, and that usually generates, um, you know, a lot of additional work. Like, for example, this morning, um, I was uh, providing information to the editor of um, the Military History magazine in, in the United States, who's writing, um, he's got a team of researchers uh, working on a World War II crash site at Fanuapai, which was another area I worked on. Um, you know, it's uh, intense. It was a U.S. aircraft um, that crashed with 12 fatalities, and uh, particularly interested in um, in this event and uh, writing that up. So, um, yeah, get lots of um, uh, requests for information. You know, sometimes from historical societies, um, and um, yeah, deal that deal with those. Um, you know, just about every day. Okay, so uh, a typical day. Well, uh, for me, my trowel is getting rusty, so I don't practice uh, scratching around in the dirt too often anymore. Um, probably more what I'd call uh, heritage planning, so um, really focused on uh, identifying uh, significant Māori heritage sites and then working through what planning processes um, can occur to manage or protect those and... Um, uh, so a lot of research, a lot of uh, analysis at the moment. Um, there are spots of, of, of fieldwork to go out. You always want to see what it is that you're talking about. Um, uh, but uh, typically it's um, uh, yeah, a lot of, it's very research and analysis heavy uh, at the moment. But um, uh, it's also working with Māori heritage uh, relationships are quite important um, with the with the Franiwi and Hapu um, of Auckland, and um, and then of course with the wider public and, and landowners. Um, so as I did not identify myself completely, um, <laughs> so my background's in the public and private sectors in this country and overseas. Um, so it means I've got a foot in a lot of camps, and so. For me, every day can, is about getting that computer started and seeing what's coming overnight because some stuff comes in from... I'm working on a project at the moment um, with the UK, so that's a, those emails come in overnight. Um, but once I've dealt with my emails, then it's looking at the resource consents and seeing what... what 
people, how people want to develop their land or not develop their land. There's also quite a lot of work comes in from council itself, from the parks and what it's now called community facilities, community operations. So it's about renewals of paths, um, tracks, uh, fences, buildings, anything like that. And we try and tie it together with anything else we might know about that place or that project. Um, there was one this morning, because we've got a compliance issue at Meadowbank Railway Station. There's a lot of archaeological sites around there, and it's recently been um, come upon, so works have stopped. Um, but another part of council wants to redo a hall there, so will they encounter this? Each part of council needs to be talking to the other part of the council so that when members of the public come along, they can actually provide useful information and contacts and all that sort of thing. So we're, we're actually trying to work across the silos of council as well, which can be quite head-bashing stuff. Um, but we also understand that these structures that we have, these organisational structures that we have, can be quite overwhelming for anyone because we can it changes quite frequently. So we are best placed to help the public and anyone else work through those structures to find the right person to help you with the right thing or the information or whatever you need to do. So our days can be full of those things. And then this afternoon I get a bit of fun to go out and probe a site where parks want to plant some trees, so I want to be sure there's nothing there. So I try and mix my days up with a bit of office and a bit of outside, which at this time of the year is all based on the weather, not surprisingly. For me, probably my favourite kind of days are the ones I get to go and hang out in cemeteries. So I spend a lot of time in cemeteries, which are really fun places. Um, I think I've visited nearly every council-owned or operated cemetery in Auckland. Uh, that's the really tiny ones and the really big ones like Waikamiti, and those are really fun days because no cemetery is the same as the other. Um, and so that's a fun day for me. I try and do that at least once a week. Um, but other than site visits, it's a lot of desk work. It's a lot of writing reports, writing emails, making phone calls, um, just trying to get all the ducks in a row so that we're doing our best to protect Auckland's heritage. I guess all of us have our little like niche areas of interest or sites that we've kind of developed a bit of a love for. So can you guys share maybe a site or a place that it's kind of sparked interest? <laughs> 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 <Why tuckery? laughs> I've just thought of another one which I really like, which we don't get to very often, but whenever we do as a treat is uh, Browns Island, Motokoria. That's an amazing little archaeological landscape. There's so much still intact there. And, yeah, people don't get there very often. Um, so it's actually quite a privilege to get out there. And every time we do get out there, it's it's really fun. And the trip's nice. Yeah, Get to spot some dolphins on the way out, which is always a plus. Um, so now that we've talked about a typical day, is there a bit of a highlight or kind of a valuable lesson that, you've learnt through your current role or career so far that you can pass on to our wonderful audience? <laughs> Who wants to kick off? Mivy? No pressure then. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to combine those two questions, thinking of time. 
Um, for me, the most valuable learning experience is not staying in Aotearoa, New Zealand for all my career. I think I needed to get out and have a look at the rest of the world and um, learn about how they did archaeology. I used to live in China, so I worked with Beijing University for a while. Um, I've studied in Britain. So I've pulled, and oh, and I worked in Australia as well, that, but that doesn't count. That's just across the, across the ditch. Um, so each of them has had a highlight. Each of them has had a difficult moment. Um, all of them have involved learning. I think the thing I find the most challenging I found the most challenging was working with Korean government and um, learning, and it's the same in Japan and China where they rank their national historic relics, be they, and they've got a whole lot of separate lists and one of them's for movable cultural heritage and another one's for buildings and then you get another one for cemeteries or mausolea and everything is ranked and everything is numbered and as a New Zealander I found that really hard and incomprehensible because we have this unique situation here where the indigenous culture was here when the Europeans arrived so we actually have a little bit of, well, if we allow it, a little bit of input into the non-tangible values of a place. So it's not just about pretty buildings or shiny decorations or the most fabulous steel thing in it. So I kind of swing between all these worlds and go, actually, this the stuff here is pretty neat because it's all combined and you learn so much every day. So, so I think for me, career highlights have been sort of the places you've been able to get to sometimes for work, whether I think sort of me we'll be able to work in the far north of Canada just learning from there and working in a very in, a, in the Yukon where it's settled only by Europe since the gold rush to the Klondike about just over 120 years ago you have that it's a very recent period of history and a very long period of uh, of, in, of, in, of First Nation of uh, life there and a lot and just be experiencing that and working on sites like Dawson City a whole Klondike gold rush it's all places out of myth and legend but there's this there and it's still still standing in the permafrost up there uh, that's incredible and even just being able to access places which haven't been coming to get to normally and are going to be lost so being able to uh, fossick around the interior of the Battersea, Battersea Power Station in London in advance of its uh, con current conversion to uh, to a big shopping mall and lots of apartments this was that was a real that was a real treat I think for in terms of learning experiences I was quite lucky I fell out of uh, university finished university and fell into urban planning as a way to pay the bills and to and to avoid sort of getting on the uh, on a dig circuit in England, which is quite short-term contracts, a lot of, at a time, a lot of competition for for roles, and for that going into into a consenting team, we'll say you get in, into learning the real basics of the real fundamentals of urban, of 
of land use planning and also the skills which go with that so it's the how to understand plans how to write conci concise reports but also how to negotiate how to uh, talk to, to the public how to explain complex technical documents in a way which can be under readily understood how to how to work with the whole, whole range of the community the fundamentals of being a public servant, those sort of things are picked up in that sort of first role and I think they've been really sort of crucial to, to all of my roles around the world and, and, uh, and, and here in Auckland. Um, most valuable learning experience for me, being relatively young in my career, is starting off in the private sector um, because it kind of taught me exactly what I don't want to be doing for the rest of my life. Um, Private sector archaeology can be a bit soulless and it can be a real grind. Um, the majority of the time you're not you're not getting the best heritage outcomes. You're you know, under a lot of pressure from developers or whoever's paying the bills to get things done quickly and cleanly and yeah, you're not getting the best outcomes often. So starting off there showed me that that actually wasn't what I wanted to do and it led me towards seeking a public sector job where I can do the exact opposite and I can be a pure advocate for heritage. Um, I can let my bias be out there and I get paid to do it. So that's pretty great for me. It's a very honest perspective, Joe. <laughs> I think about it a lot. <laughs> and I think we're all pretty fortunate to be in the space that we are and I think as well across all of our jobs and I think you might have heard already our backgrounds, although we're all trained in archaeology, are very, very different as well, even what we're doing in our current role. So I think also when we go into work every day, we also have to think very holistically about the jobs that we're approaching and the sites, and that's kind of where we get the best outcomes as well, when we can kind of bring in all those areas of expertise and talk to the community, talk to mana whenua, and really not just look at it from an archaeological perspective, but a much wider perspective as well. And I think it's a really important point for all of us as well. But in terms of like valuing heritage, we're moving on now to our next theme. But, you know, how do you all think the value of heritage has changed um, or has it? And, you know, if so, how over time? Who wants to kick that one off? So um, I think to start with, um, in terms of what is sort of the value of it before has it changed, I think I think the value of it, um, of heritage, is that it binds people to their past, to their culture. Um, it helps give a sense of place, a sense of identity to people, um, whether you're Māori or Pākehā or whatever. If you're from a place and you have roots there, um, there'll be things, parts of the heritage you've grown up with that you relate to and you'll always go back to in your mind. And so I think it's really important for uh, basically, yeah, identity, cultural identity, sense of well-being. Um, <clears throat> and in terms of change over time, I think it's inevitable that heritage value does change over time because society does as well. Societies evolve and adapt and change. And our uh, conception of heritage is moved from uh, its its origins as sort of um, going out and fossicking for for um, uh, curios 
uh, through to um, you know sort of scientific endeavour, and, and now we're uh, broadening what heritage means and in, in, within archaeology to look at you know intangible values and and other perspectives of what what heritage is and and what it can contribute. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I uh, was going to say basically the same thing that uh, Ed said, which is, um, you know, it's important um, to create a sense of place and belonging, identity and so forth. Um, I think one of the challenges we have uh, these days is that um, with increasing mobility of um, Auckland's population, um, you know, uh, migration into Auckland from people from other cultures and uh, sort of relentless pressure to develop. Um, um, there's sort of been a bit of a, um, a kind of decline of interest um, in heritage and um, there's probably been a bit of lack of um, uh, leadership from central government over the last couple of decades. Um, and uh, so it's it, it's a challenge to um, um, sort of sell sell heritage and what's important about it in the face of sort of you know the need to provide you know thousands of houses uh, for the you know um, um, as our population increases and so forth. So I think building on that a little bit more, I would say part of that. At the same time, though, I think it's that. A, hopefully a move towards understanding that you're not going to get the public goodwill for those thousand houses unless you're building the thousand houses in a way which also makes some nod towards taking into that sense of place, that sense of, the, of heritage, that sense of identity. And those things can actually lead to a, a greater, a better a better development, a better, a better end result there, uh, and I think that's it's it's it's, it's baby steps. Get, it's about winning hearts and minds politically, as as well as getting options down on paper. It's about having the conversations of the early early on on that. But I think there is starting to be a understanding of that, and certainly some parts of New Zealand have really picked up upon the opportunities heritage has. Uh, for certainly the there's been less, I mean, certainly as areas in Auckland where I think we could really use heritage as a good way to uh, drive uh, regeneration of, uh, town of town centres, to encourage tourism, to build on that further. Uh, and I think certainly that's starting to be practised in other parts of New Zealand, the uh, uh, landmarks, Terrafenerous uh, uh, project, which was been running for a couple of years now in Northland, Otago and Westland is a good way of, Doing, doing cultural heritage tourism as uh, identifying places of real importance to uh, to local people but, and to the nation and then using this as a way to get people to visit, to stay in and to spend money in parts of the country they wouldn't normally stop in. They would just be driving straight past to go to the big to the big grand five-star site, uh, sites and attractions. I think these things are really uh, crucial and I think it's also important for telling that the story of, of a nation to ourselves as well as to every, as well as to visitors and newcomers too. Everyone said really good stuff so far. Um, I guess for me, 
I've got a slightly different answer in that uh, it feels like there's a changing perception that there actually is heritage and archaeology in New Zealand. I, talking to peers from other walks of life, uh, you tell them that you're an archaeologist or so you work in heritage, and they go, oh, so you must work overseas or you know travel overseas all the time. And you have to kind of explain to them that, no, we've actually got, you know, uh, roughly 1,900 years of human history in this country and there's a really interesting archaeological record and heritage sites are everywhere and that hill over there isn't just a hill, it's actually an old par site. But it feels like I'm having to have those conversations less and less. Uh, maybe that's because I'm talking to the same people and over and over <laughs> again, but... No, it's cool. And also it's kind of why we do events like this, is to share that heritage and, and the value. And I think the more and more we do and the more we can get that message across, the better. And I think you know, one of the main parts of our job is obviously interacting with the community and something that our, our unit does a few times a year is work with um, primary and intermediate age school children um, and teach them about archaeology and... Our most recent event, we didn't have one person mention dinosaurs or fossils, and it was so rewarding. <laughs> and we actually had children teaching us about middens and pars, and I think hearing that coming up from the younger generation is probably, it's very positive, and it's, it's great to kind of see that come through as well. So, you know, spread the word. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes we can also get a bit stuck on, like, the day-to-day, -day, um, like, general grind, particularly if you're in, like, the consenting space, like most of our team here. And so is there something that we get too worried about in our day-to-day -day jobs? Um, and is there something that we kind of forget about when we're doing those as well? So that's our next question. I don't know, for instance, at the moment there's a big... There's, there's a trend going on in house building towards smaller one-bedroom, two-bedroom properties. That's what's standing in Auckland. Uh, that's what's being built. Well, where do they go in the city? What's, what areas are they going to be affecting? How that might change character of some of our of our neighbourhoods? How how do, how do, and also what potential opportunities could there be from that? Do we have vacant floor space above uh, shops? On in certain neighbourhoods, which could be turned into these apartments, which can be unlocked at a cheaper, um, more quick, uh, more quickly than building a new apartment block on a, on a clear site, things like that. I mean, so I just try. I'd like to to try. I try and keep that balance between focusing on what I'm sitting in front of me, my desk, and also having that wider understanding of how, uh, as a council as a city as a as a community things are going and where i sit within that that stream <laughs> uh, okay well I, I yeah i think um this might sound funny coming from a council worker but uh, i think we get too worried about process and we forget about the outcome um, stole my answer and <laughs> gotta gotta get in quick um yeah, I mean, look, the, the outcome, for, for heritage to uh, have value, for heritage to matter, you have to have a community there that celebrates it and connects to it. And, um, you know, I think uh, it, it's easy to get um, stuck in the detail and in the process and, and forget that at the end of the day, these things, although they're from the past, they're kind of living and they're carried through to the present and then 
onto the future, hopefully, if we do our jobs right. And so um, I, I think for me, it's 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 keeping um, that that outcome, that target, in, in sight. Um, maybe gets forgotten sometimes. No, I'm just I'm going to agree with Ed as well. And and and. Um, we are the most fortunate heritage unit in New Zealand because we are the largest one in all the councils. So we've got a great team of people that we can work with. Um, if you want to know about something or somewhere, chances are there is someone on our floor that knows something about it or knows someone or, as we know, we have the fabulous facilities of Auckland Libraries at our fingertips, so we can use our corporate library access, we can ask questions and somebody somewhere will know. So in terms of creating like these maps and pictures on the, on the screen here, um, if we're asking a question, there will be someone who's done work on it before, they'll know something, they'll know someone, and we can speed that process to the outcome. We can step away from any personal interest or bias or any political pressure that we might be receiving and go, well, look, this is the proven referenced information. This is how it gets on the district plan or the unitary plan as it now is. The information we're providing is not something we've made up. It's reliable, well-sourced, well-researched materials. So... I think in, in terms of outcomes and where we're going in the future, we need to have this group of us that are working together like the crazy people that we are. What do you think would be like the greatest or an upcoming threat to heritage? And since we're merging some questions together, who do you think we should be interacting with more or what kind of discipline should we be engaging with to start addressing those threats? I guess I'll start because I haven't yet. Um, I think we've all kind of touched on it. Um, the increasing scale and intensity of development across the region uh, means that we're getting into places which I guess we've taken for granted as being untouched landscapes, which are full of archaeology that we know about that developers may not know about. Um, and heritage and archaeology to some people can be seen as an impediment rather than an opportunity. Um, so I guess industries to align with to kind of uh, emphasise the positives of heritage and make sure that they're preserved in light of this increasing development, I would say, what have I got written down? Uh, lawyers, law, um, having like a heritage law expert or a massive group of them would be excellent. Um, planners, of course, we work with planners in our day-to-day, -day, but again, having specialist heritage planners who are more than well-versed in the rules, who could potentially get better outcomes for heritage, be excellent. Um, urban design is a really interesting one because we're often told that, you know, if heritage is seen as an impediment, the easiest thing is to bulldoze it, get rid of it, but sometimes we can actually incorporate it into uh, developments, whatever's going on, to use it as a point of interest or a, a highlight um, in that development. And frankly, we need more urban designers or people working in that space who can 
tell developers, hey, instead of just getting rid of this, why don't we turn it into something useful? Make it a point of interest. Yeah. Well, for me, I think the big challenge is going to be uh, climate change and adaption to that. Um, both um, of the obvious issues around, around coastal development here. We live in a coastal city, uh, see right, and of course, with more extremes, however. Uh, also, in terms of other issues, we have a, a old building stock, as the most most nations. We're, we're never going to be able to clear it to the ground and start again building energy efficient new homes and and workplaces for everyone it's not it's not going to happen and if anything the amount of embodied energy in those buildings would be which would be lost is would would also be contrary to that uh, goal anyway so what we need to so to address these issues in the 10 years 11 years we've got to make buildings much more energy efficient while also retaining what makes them special. That's going to be a big challenge. It's going to require a, a, a whole mix of, of skills from, uh, from, tr from, the, from trades through to, through to building scientists, through to heritage specialists, but if we want to meet that challenge. So I think that's the big one, big one there. In terms of who we want to work with to achieve Heritage, better heritage outcomes. I think I'll take go for the Jesuit route on this one, and that's get into middle, into intermediate schools more, and look at school curriculum in New Zealand. I still find it bizarre in New Zealand that think that is, New Zealand history is an optional part of history teaching at at, at school here. I mean, they said. I mean, I mean, if you understand things like Reformation gets taught. I mean, I don't get taught Reformation when I went to school. I studied history at 18. That's that's at the high school in in England. I mean, this is something. We, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a bit niche. I'll be honest with you. Whereas I, I the only reason I'm sitting here doing my job, talking to you guys, is that I had a very engaged middle school teacher who taught us history at a local level. So she dragged us all around the, the local hill forts and castles and, and villages of around my, my around the school and inspired us. Inspired enough of us to learn a bit more about the places we were in, opened our eyes to what we are seeing around us, and if we have that happening more here, then I think that will a bit, that will help people as those children grow up, but also kids go home and talk to their parents about things. It works that way. I think that's the would be the area I'd want to see the most focus on, really. Um. Yeah, I, I think that uh, archaeologists definitely need to uh, improve um, public and Māori perceptions of uh, the discipline. Um, archaeologists tend to be quite poor at communicating um, sort of the positive uh, benefits of archaeology, and um, I think that, uh, yeah, we need to get into the media more often with um, uh, communicate what the value of work that's been done and also um, the, the other side of that is you know when when you've got um, uh, you know sort of people coming out and talking rubbish about New Zealand history or um, uh, you know Maori Maori history and so forth um, and the, the archaeological community should um, should be responding you know getting out and saying this is rubbish you know um, you know, these aren't ley lines or, you know, signs of some contact with some earlier civilization and so forth, you know. We need to be more proactive about um, responding to that sort of, uh, yeah, you know, stuff in the media. 
Um, <clears throat> all right, I'm up next then. Um, so uh, I'll just fire through these. Um, so we need more people to work in archaeology doing, I, th I think a gap um, is uh, indigenous archaeology, so more Māori in archaeology. Um, I was lucky to have been taught by um, a Māori archaeologist at, at Auckland, um, one of the few, um, because there's a lot of, uh, when it comes to managing uh, Māori archaeology, specifically there's a lot of bad practices out there, quite frankly, and I think need to up our game um, as a... As a um, as a profession, uh, I think the greatest challenges uh, over the next sort of 100 years is probably um, three interconnected. One, one is, uh, we've talked about it, is just making sure that it's actually relevant, that people care about archaeology and history. Um, related to that is, uh, over the next 100 years, I wouldn't want to see us run out of Māori archaeology, which is probably going to happen if we don't do a better job. Um, and... Uh, I've forgotten what the third thing was, so I'll move on to the next, uh, which was, um, yeah, I'll just say climate change, that's cool, there we go. No, no, that's what it was, it was um, what are we doing with the archiving of this information? So we're, we're digging up all of this information, we're putting a report in a drawer and forgetting about it. Um, <clears throat> it's utterly useless, um, so we need to string it together and make it more uh, relevant and useful, um, otherwise we're just going to end up with 100 years of grey literature. Um, and in terms of um, partnerships, um, I worked for an outfit in the UK um, where they had a philosophy of total design, so it was architects working with engineers and heritage people and planners um, to bring, um, because obviously someone's got to pay for heritage at the end of the day if, you're, if it's a development, and so it's about making heritage a value-add component of it. And so that was our job, that was a big uh, private company, big global one, and, and our job was to work together across all of those different disciplines to um, to, 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 to make that archaeology, uh, to manage it properly, or that heritage I should say, um, but to make it really a value-add part of of the development. So, uh, um, And we did that successfully, and um, I've seen the model work, and so I think it could be done more in New Zealand as well. Um, yeah. You've been listening to an Auckland Libraries podcast. Stay tuned for more Heritage Talks. You can find further information on our page at SoundCloud or see the Auckland Libraries website 